0: I have Tim Hogwood, who's co-founder and CEO of Sourcewell, with me on this episode of Grow with the Flow. Sourcewell is a sourcing and outreach platform for recruiters to keep track and execute their daily recruiting activities. Made up of a sourcing extension that works pretty much anywhere on internet, and uh, it also integrates into different email providers as well as leading ATSs and CRMs uh, operating all over the world. Um, Leading one being Recruiter Flow, of course, um, and Sourcewell helps recruiters automate tedious, monotonous administrative tasks that helps them spend their time um, on things that actually matter and keep them sane. Uh, Tim, welcome to Grow With The Flow. How are you doing today? I'm
1: great, thank you so much for having me, but not as great as it looks like you're doing with your fantastic background, Now,
0: Well, yeah, no, I am, um, you know, living in the middle of the Himalayas at around 8,000 feet altitude right now. It's, as you can see, it's really, really cold out here. Um, and, uh, but yeah, this is one of the most incredible places that I've seen in my
1: life. I honestly thought it was a Zoom background when we first
0: joined the call, but it turns <laughs> out it's real. Yeah, no, it is. You know, as you can see. Um, so, Tim, uh, we have uh, we've spoken a little bit uh, uh, you know, during the integration process uh, and LinkedIn um, yeah, over a period of last six to eight months. Um, but I would love to, you know, have a quick, you know, to show our uh, uh, viewers a quick demo of how Sourcewell uh, integrates with Recruiter Flow uh, and uh, uh, what does it do? So you know, if you want to share your screen and run us through that, that would be fantastic.
1: Absolutely. Awesome. Can you can you see, see my screen OK here, now? I can, yes. Awesome. So um, just a super quick 20-second overview of Sourcewell, so it makes sense for people watching the podcast, and then obviously into the interesting part, which is the Recruiter Flow integration. So, As as Manan quite correctly said, uh, we're a sourcing and outreach tool. Uh, Day to day, most recruiters will interact with us via our Chrome extension, which works wherever you want to around the web, whether that be LinkedIn, GitHub, or even Recruiter Flow. And then obviously the web app itself, you know, we capture all the kind of metrics that you care about as either an agency or an in-house recruiter uh, around both candidate sourcing and business development. So you can measure things like your open rates, reply rates interested rates, which again, we do automatically, which is quite exciting, uh, and also things like diversity metrics and see how the team is performing. But obviously, the the main value in a tool like ours working alongside Recruiter Flow is some of our kind of hyper-personalized sequence building, which works across both emails and texting, but you can also keep track of these other activities in the sequences or campaigns, whether they be in-mails, phone calls, general tasks, whatever you want. We can do things like A-B testing and even add kind of hyper-personalization down to things like pictures as well. And obviously what you're looking at on screen here is Ben, one of our salespeople. And so you can imagine we can put personali- personalization into not just kind of the text of things like e- emails and emails, but also start adding personalization like this. And why that's really cool for kind of recruiter flow customers is that we also work alongside sourcing sites, but also alongside your CRM or ATS. So in Recruiter Flow's perspective here. uh, We have the Sourcewell Chrome extension opened alongside. You can see a list of uh, made up candidates and myself in Recruiter Flow. And you can select all of those candidates and effectively with one click of a button, add them all into a sequence of your choosing. So for example, if I were to choose this one here, um, I can add all 11 people in this list. If I have their details, I can obviously add them in if I don't. And if you want to, you can even hyper-personalize along the way, which as I'm sure you guys will hear later throughout this podcast, I'm very, very passionate about. But with one click of a button, those will all be going out from your Gmail or your Outlook. We will pick up if someone has responded or if someone hasn't responded and then send, send the following subsequent follow-up if it's an email or a text and also help you keep track of any other tasks that you need to do, like sending an email or doing a phone call, et cetera.
0: Perfect, perfect. Thank you so much, uh, Tim, for that. With With the demo out of the way, um, you know what we would like to uh, talk about. So one of the things that I that find very interesting in uh is uh, it's not just emails, uh, it, it's multi channel uh, approach to getting somebody's attention, which is which is fantastic. Um, what are your thoughts about you know there is this constant battle of in-mails versus emails uh what do you think uh what do you observe uh, with Sourcewell customers and if you can give us some numbers in terms of you know uh, response rates of in-mails versus emails that would that would be fantastic
1: yeah absolutely i think um very very British of me and i'm always <laughs> slightly political about this stuff and stick stick in the middle but the answer the horrible answer is it really does depend Um, But I guess I suppose some of the pros of emailing is um, you do have guaranteed deliverability as long as someone is on LinkedIn. I think that's a big if, though, because, again, a lot of the recruiters, a lot of people we work with, their life is spent living on LinkedIn. A lot of high value candidates and passive candidates aren't really on LinkedIn and they may have even turned off their email notifications. But if they are on LinkedIn, you know they're going to receive that email. And I think probably the other advantage is social proof. Um, And again, obviously, you can get around this in your email by making sure you've got a good email signature, you're pointing to a good website, it's part of the email domain that you're reaching out to someone on. Uh, But, you know, having that social proof of your LinkedIn profile that someone can quickly take a look at is is really, really helpful as well. Um, However, I'm probably slightly biased here. I see, you know, a lot of pros uh, around emails as well. So firstly, there's obviously no limitations. Uh, Obviously, with emails, they can be quite expensive. You know, you could be limited to 25 or or 50, depending on what you know. You've got recruiter light, recruiter corporate, or sales navigator. Secondly, I guess, as we were pointing out before, not everyone is active on LinkedIn. You know, a lot of the people who are actively job-seeking will respond both well to emails or email, but actually it's the passive candidates that aren't spending their time on LinkedIn uh, that are the ones you probably really want to get in touch with as a recruiter. And those are the ones uh, that, you know, email, they'll probably respond a lot more highly to, or at least they will at least see your message as well. Um, Touching on the metrics as well, we see better response rates. So uh, response rates again, really, really vary depending on the type of recruiter, the volume of messaging they're sending out, and of course, targeting, uh, you know, but it can range anywhere from, I mean, we really like to see everyone on the platform at the absolute bottom having somewhere, uh, you know, around a 10% uh, response rate, but, you know, especially for some of our in-house recruiters that utilize the product, we can see response rates, you know, anywhere up to 40, 50% as well, whereas, you know, can be. A fair bit lower, depending on the type of candidates you're reaching out to. If you're look, if you're a rec to rec and you're looking to hire other recruiters, then mailing was probably great for you. For anyone else, maybe a technical candidate, maybe particular roles that don't spend a lot of time on social media, uh, I think emailing is going to be your bag.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um, in in fact, um, um, uh, for for some of our customers, I also see who work. Uh, with salespeople, they also find great response rates on in-mails because essentially, salespeople also end up spending a fair bit of time uh, on LinkedIn, uh, which you know. So the platform uh, becomes, uh, you know, it, it becomes easier to catch their attention on that platform. But on the other hand, um, at least in the domain uh, in in our world of software engineers uh, and technical candidate you know, it's very difficult to catch their attention on uh, in mails is, you know, uh, from what I've heard it's, uh, but, uh, uh, you know, uh, as, you know I, I think some of those hunches are uh, confirmed uh, by your data, right? So, which is, which is fantastic. Uh-huh.
1: Absolutely. and it's a, There's a really interesting study, I think, by Stack Overflow that was looking specifically at technical candidates and seeing what was their preference of outreach from a recruiter. And I think roughly 60% or so was from, from the email channel, as opposed to LinkedIn or social media, which is really, really interesting. Yeah. And I suppose one other thing to you know disambiguate between emailing and in-mailing is, is follow-up functionality. Obviously, I'm biased here in SourceWells. So key functionality is helping you do that follow-up. Um, but some, some of the data we see is 70% of responses come from a follow-up. Yeah. So if you're not following up, you're really missing out. But if you're doing that manually by going through your sent items in Outlook and clicking reply or on LinkedIn, you're having to use another credit or you're having to go and manually remember to send those email follow-ups, that's where a real gap starts to grow between emailing and emailing when you're using some kind of email sequencing tool as well to help you with that.
0: Perfect. Yeah, well, no, that uh, makes complete sense. Um, so we, we talked about in-mails and uh, emails, which is know uh, uh, slightly contentious issue, but we, we are, I'm going to move towards something that is um, is controversial. I wouldn't say contentious, but it's, it's actually controversial, and that's cold calling, right? So um, I, I joke uh, with uh, uh, my co-founders that there are two types of recruiters in the world, uh, those who love to cold call and those... Uh, who think that uh, the ones who cold call are basically boomers, right? So uh, what's, what's your opinion? Um, our world is very, very divided on this. Uh, I would love to hear your thoughts.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Really good question. So I think like most relatively divisive topics where people are quite polarised, the answer isn't one end or the other. It's <laughs> uh, you know somewhere in the middle. I know that's not a particularly exciting answer, but I do think it's true in this situation. Um, and I mean, the fact of the matter is, cold calling does work you know our sales team use it it works we work with a load of recruiters who use our product to cold call a lot and it really really does work um, but the the counter side is just like cold emailing you know if you're going to throw mud at the wall and see what sticks um you know that really really won't get the outcome you'll be dialing loads of numbers uh, but you won't be getting the output that you want so i really do think it's a balance i think anyone that only cold calls and I think people that don't call call, they've both got it wrong. I really think it is somewhere in the middle. So how we find value, at least from our sales perspective, and again, I'm sure there'll be people listening that have got much more experience selling in the recruiting world than I do even at this point. Um, but you know, as part of your sequence, it's about sending an email, even sending a LinkedIn connection request um, and making that call as well. And I think why that can really help as well is it's about, you know, when you call someone, you, you definitely know that you're getting their attention, maybe for that 20 seconds, 30 seconds. Um, But obviously, if you've backed that up with some kind of presence beforehand, whether that be all the way from marketing right down to they've seen your presence on LinkedIn, you've previously sent them an email, having that kind of building that trust and that that someone's heard from you previously. And I think communicating across a lot of different channels can really help as well.
0: Sure. Makes sense. So, uh, I mean... Again, one of the things that I love about Sourceful is its multi-channel approach to uh, um, you know getting somebody's attention, um, and uh, uh, you've built a, a, a whole platform around uh, that concept. Now, um, help, help us out here. So let's let's just say that uh, you know we have all of these tools uh, at uh, at our disposal, right? So emails, in mails. Uh, and calls, right? As well as, as let's just you know uh, uh, put uh, SMS uh, through SMS as well in, in the mix, um, and uh, so for a typical recruiter, right? Like let's say I want to catch attention of uh, VP sales of uh, you know a thousand people. Um, company in uh, UK, right? So it's a tech company, VP sales. Uh, What would that ideal uh, sequence look like to you uh, and what does the data suggest?
1: Absolutely. So I think, yeah, the the perfect person you've given there is probably the kind of person that already receives a lot of outreach already. So probably one of the toughest to get a response from. But I think, yeah, the, the points that I would make here are probably relevant for any kind of person you're targeting. And again, the first one that I will always hammer on is personalization. Is, you know, anyone can pick up when an email's got a high first name, like, hi, Manan, hope you're having a nice Tuesday morning. You know, anyone knows that that could be part of some kind of mass mail merge or even worse, using a marketing tool like MailChimp to send. I think if you at least spend the time to read that person's profile and just put a sentence or two that obviously hasn't been automated as part of your first outreach, you know, take a read of their profile. Maybe you've got a mutual company. Uh, maybe you've got a mutual connection, uh, you know, maybe even a college, a university, whatever it may be, or something that they posted on LinkedIn recently. I really, really like to use that tactic, especially as you've just said, Man, if they're a VP of sales, they will be publishing a lot of content on LinkedIn. They'll be commenting, they'll be liking activity, you know, picking out a point that they've previously made because we're all human, right? When people post up on social media, we're all very aware that a lot of people are reading that stuff and we're all a bit self-conscious. We've all got imposter syndrome. So if you you know, take the point, you know, look at one of the points that they've made online and say, hey, you know, maybe you might want to like it in advance as well. This is what I was saying about the multi-channel approach, but then reach out to them over email and say, hey, you know, I saw your comment on X, Y, and Z's post. Uh, I was really impressed. I really, really agree. Or actually, maybe you don't even agree. What do you think about this? Try and trigger a bit of dialogue rather than just trying to force your offering straight down their throat. It's about offering them something of value as well. Maybe it's kind of confirmation, you know, maybe it's talking about your product and saying, this is how it would provide value to it, whatever it may be. But um personalization next i know it sounds quite basic is is keep it short i think a lot of people especially when they start using automation they change from when they were manually emailing people uh, and they actually change their approach and actually your approach shouldn't change automation should just be used to automate the administrative manual parts you should still be sending the same kind of messaging and we, we often see this in people's follow-ups as well you know with that vpsl maybe their follow-up will include a really long email on like why SourceWell or whatever it is is such a great product and actually that's not natural if you were sending someone a follow-up from your emails it would be much shorter much snappier so i think it's keep it short um and also for me again maybe because i'm british a bit of humor really really like a bit of humor in my emails again depending on the type of person you're reaching out to, if you're reaching out to someone really senior, maybe you don't want to fill your email with emojis. You know, if you're reaching out to someone in Switzerland, Germany, you have a lot more formal approach on your email. You may say, you know, hi, Mr. Hogwood, rather than hi, Tim. You know, if you're reaching out to, you know, people from different backgrounds, gauge it, and then obviously change the general tone uh, of your email as well. You know, utilize something like Grammarly alongside to make sure that your tone is correct. Those would probably be my my three top tips.
0: Okay, so, all right, and... How many steps and what would those steps involve in that sequence, in that, in that dream sequence of yours?
1: Oh, dream sequence. So in terms of number of touch points, um, you know, we see it's actually different on geography as well, which I find really interesting. So, you know, touch points might be anywhere from three to six. Um, okay. To give an example of that, we find in Europe, you know, people use fewer touch points, which I think is correct. You know, looking at the data we see going our systems, we're a bit more conservative, you know, about outreach here. Uh, we're, we're a bit less used to being kind of bombarded with information and, you know, it's due to different regulations, different controls, etc. Whereas actually when you look at some of our North American clients, uh, you know, they have maybe longer sequences with, you know, an increased number of touch points and it does work so it slightly depends on where this vp of sales is if they're in europe if they're in the us i might have a slightly different sequence Um, but actually you know i I do quite like if you're discovering that person on linkedin i like to send them a connection request you know it 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 provides that social proof that we talked about that you one of the pros of using mail, uh, but actually without the cost of sending an email, so you know, just sending a connection request, make yourself known. Uh, you know, maybe commenting on a bit of activity on their, their LinkedIn profile, uh, and then I yeah would always encourage as my kind of first actual outreach step, uh, an email. I find it it works the best, and um, I would keep a short, a short snappy subject line. Um, I'm sure you've probably spoken about this previously on your podcast as well, but um, shorter subject lines, you can put various different things in them, you can put various bits of personalization. The one thing that stands out for us is people that use shorter, snappier subject lines, even just the person's first name, or even the name of their company, you effectively want that subject line to be clickbaity enough that (laughs) someone is intrigued and they click it but not too clickbaity that they're like this is not relevant you know and they become angry and they delete the email or even worse they mark you as spam which is yeah. the ultimate number one thing you do not want um so i think you know shorter staffier subject lines that first email is going to provide value uh, you know a follow-up i would also do my email and again we find uh, again it depends if it's sales or candidate sourcing it's slightly different uh, but in terms of that outreach so if you're reaching out to a vp of sales You know, maybe you'd want that outreach maybe two days later. Um, I'd probably have a slightly more aggressive, uh, you know, minimum gap between my steps for someone in sales because they play the game as well. Right. (laughs) Uh, Whereas if I was reaching out to you know someone that's less used to outreach, I'd probably have a slightly more conservative, slightly increased gap. But anywhere from kind of two to four days, we find is good. Anything after that, I find you feel you're still front of mind for that person. But you're really not you know if you say hey just following up on my previous email um, and your previous emails from ages ago they will have probably received a lot of other emails and they will have forgotten about it um on that point something else we also see that's quite valuable is senders reply um so sometimes we find people like to utilize sending an email as a completely new chain um, what we see is that having it as a reply uh, not only seems more natural but does get a better response rate because people remember your first outreach yeah. Uh, so we find that that works really really well as well um, if you have that person's cell phone number or phone number uh, depending on the geography depending on the you know the kind of person they are i would definitely recommend throwing a cold call in there maybe as your step three um and you know f- final resort because it's quite expensive but you know if you have email credits absolutely send an email at the end of your sequence as well if you have it if another rest is being successful but i would i would often use that as my last resort
0: sure yeah that makes sense because you know in mails uh also you know linkedin will uh limit your ability to, at, at least rate limit uh your mail sending if you do not meet a certain threshold uh of uh, response rates
1: and things like that right so i think it's like 13 or something it's probably changing all the time um i mean as we saw recently you know a lot of uh a lot of people do use linkedin automation tools obviously software is not that for obvious reasons but um I think you know. Was it three or three or four months ago? LinkedIn brought that connection request limitation. Yeah. You know, I think of a roughly about a hundred a uh, hundred a week or something like that. It varies uh, depending on your profile and your kind of success rate on connecting. But I think that was really quite disruptive for a lot of people. Um, and maybe what I'm going to say here is quite controversial. I don't think that was a bad thing though, because I think it makes people focus, uh, and it, it you know it stops people just automating the wrong part of prospecting and candidate sourcing, which is using some kind of automation tool to pick the person for you i personally don't agree with that at all because i really think there's a reason why recruiters still have a job and they will do for many more decades <laughs> yeah. and that in fact that still you know human intuition on picking that person and hyper personalizing that messaging isn't something that ai robotics or machines do a particularly good job of for now and i don't see them actually doing a particularly good job of it for the at least the short term Absolutely. and so <laughs> um, but having that limitation on who you can connect with, all that's limiting is people using automation to automate reaching out to a you know huge number of people without taking the time to look at them. So I think that, you know there's been a lot of changes for both sales and recruiters with the changes that LinkedIn bring in. Obviously, using emailing alongside lifts some of that limitation. But in general, I'm all for the you know hyper-personalized, you know, still volume, but maybe not thousands and thousands of people a week because I don't think you've taken the time to read their profile and frankly you won't get the response that you're hoping for.
0: Absolutely no and uh, every it's like uh, you know some some of these technologies are pretty new to the world of recruiting right and um, how how it happens with uh, you know whenever somebody finds a new tool uh, they kind of just uh, you know go nuts with it uh, to their own detriment right and that is kind of what we see with a combination of people you know some some of the products especially ai powered uh, selling pipe dreams right so uh, I, have, I have you know I, i'm you know as an engineer myself i have absolutely nothing against ai i i just have you know i really uh, you know, I kind of I, I look at something very skeptically when they say this. This does AI powered this or AI powered that. And my my simple heuristic here is that you know if uh, if you have to say AI powered, that means that you know we are not doing a very good job at it. If you know, for for example, right, like uh, the spam filters that we are now so used to and we are so grateful to, they are pretty sophisticated right nobody calls them ai powered spam filters they are ju- they are just spam filters right so um and uh, you know it's really really difficult uh, to first of all understand what the job is right So forget picking the candidate right understanding what the job is that in itself is not not the easiest task right so a lot of job descriptions are not very well written, right? Let's uh, you know. So that is first, right? Uh, so you know, you have garbage in, garbage out. Even if it's a you know a revolutionary AI algorithm, but if the job description is not written very well, what's the algorithm going to do, right? So that is first. Second, that you know, recruiters operating in certain industries, or even people operating in certain, they have years of experience of actually reading between the lines right so um and that's what makes uh you know uh, that's what differentiates a pro recruiter from a rookie recruiter um and uh, it, it's not something that you know an algorithm can replicate um and that is why this this whole idea of letting AI, you know just letting, you know, an automation uh, run rampant is obviously a bad idea. But even if, uh, you know, the the argument that, you know, let AI pick candidates for you without, you know, you going through a, per- a person's profile is still a, a really bad idea. And there is something that, you know, you sh- a human should be doing that. Um, and what you want to automate is, as you said, right? Like the mundane the administrative tasks and uh, uh, so that you know you end up spending more time on things that actually matter right so um, I'm, I'm completely with you uh, with you there so in in terms of uh, you know so you mentioned getting into uh, a spam folder and uh, i i uh, i'm sure you know source uh, uh, at source and you know you you've given a lot of thought about uh, you know how do you avoid triggering uh spam filters so what are the top three things that uh one should you know one should do uh, at the onset of their journey of uh, you know cold outreach uh to make sure that they don't hit spam filters
1: really really good question so i guess um, my overall kind of sentiment on this is don't run before you can walk okay. i think when people start using doing cold outreach and they potentially start using automation tool they go from zero to 100 very quickly and in itself you know that increase in volume and just general high volumes can be a you know a number one reason why people fall into spam um, but in terms of top tips if you're just getting going the first thing is i would make sure your email infrastructure is set up correctly people don't often talk about this Um, but you know I won't get too techie on this call but this thing's called you'll be aware of my name like SPF DKIM and DMARC effectively these things are rough translation are did this email actually come from this person SPF DKIM has anyone interfered with this message on the way and DMARC is basically showing spam filters I take this stuff seriously and I'm monitoring my domain to make sure that no one is abusing it and so having that stuff set up correctly early on you're already ahead of seven out of 10 people out there, you know, a lot of people might have SPF set up, but they don't have DKIM and they most probably don't have DMARC set up. So having that stuff set up is a good sign to email service providers that you are taking this stuff seriously. Um, The second thing is, Varying your messaging. And again, everyone talks about this, you know, uh, people have various different figures for this, but if you've just got the same sequence that you're sending out to thousands of people or thousands of times, battles, as you said, are very sophisticated. They don't talk about AI, effectively it is though. They are <laughs> looking for patterns. You know, people often take their favorite template off the internet uh, that other people have used and say, you know, you often get these blogs of like, I've had a 60% response rate from this crazy, weird, uh, you know, outreach sequence Uh, because actually I just sent it to my mum and dad, whatever it might be. Um, But actually um, the problem is by doing that and copying it is everyone else is copying that too. And even though you've set up your domain correctly, if it looks like someone else who's got quite spammy behavior is using the same messaging as you, or you're just using the same messaging over and over and again, your engagement score, your kind of spam score, or your engagement score will drop, your spam score as we call it, will go up as well. So I think there's, um, you know, hyper personalising your messaging will fix this, but even if you are going for a slightly more wider outreach, just, vary your messaging up, you know, you know, once a week, once or two weeks, change a sentence, you know, change a couple of sentences. Um, you know, in Sourcewell itself, we have the ability to A-B test. This is quite nice. So we can route, not only test doesn't work better than another thing, but it also varies your messaging up for you automatically as well. Um, that's, that's actually great. And another, uh, uh, so as a heuristic,
0: what I uh, tend to uh, advise uh, uh, our customers and do this ourselves as well, that thousand emails of the same uh, variance once it's gone you got to change uh, you know a couple of sentences here and there uh, make sure that the the thousand first email uh, is different right so uh, just a simple you know, just helps you do the math in terms of you know how depending on your send rate how often you should uh, change your uh, email templates and another way another important factor that we, we've seen uh, in terms of you know uh, not triggering spam filters is your ratio of inbound to outbound emails, right? So if you're, if you're receiving, uh, you know, 50 responses uh, every day of your emails, you can comfortably send 200 emails to 50 emails every day, no problem. But if you are getting only 10 and you're still sending out to 50, then, you know, you, you, you got a few things uh, coming your way. Right. So, um from, from your standpoint, what have you seen uh, is the kind of a ratio that one should
1: uh, maintain? Really good question. So I think I'd maybe struggle to give you an exact number because it really does slightly depends on your email service provider. Um, Outlook can be slightly stranger on this stuff than, what well, Office 365 can be slightly, well, stranger. It can have slightly more varying algorithms than, than Gmail, which tends yeah. to be a bit more set and have a bit more of a, like an engagement score. Um, I think one thing that, that's important to note on this and how you can keep the ratio higher is um, you know, what domains you use. You know, sometimes people use, and you know, we've experimented with this in the past internally with Sourcewell as well, is using a separate domain for cold outreach. And that's okay because the advantage is it protects your main domain in case someone on your team does get a bit spammy. Um, but the disadvantage is, do you have as much transactional email going through that email address as well. Now, by having normal transactional emails where you have big email threads where you're going back and forth with individuals, that is normal based email behavior and that's what you want to keep up. Um, so by moving onto a separate domain, you risk losing some of that transactional email. That's okay if you are making sure you're following the top tips of not sending too many emails, hyper-personalized emails, and you've got a good response rate. You know, If your response rate's above you know, 10%, you should be okay that's the kind of ratio we look for um however there are other things that come into it like being marked as spam that that will kind of give you a a way higher kind of negative score um than having a lower response rate you could have a higher response rate but if you get an influx of people marking you as spam which hopefully you wouldn't as long as your message is targeted and correct that will do a lot more damage even than having a relatively low response rate, but yeah, on that on that ratio, roughly roughly ten percent, uh, we see most of the people using our platform. If they're using it correctly, are hopefully that, or if not, you know, exceeding that by quite a large margin.
0: Perfect. Yeah, no, that that makes uh, complete sense, and uh, roughly what we've seen uh, across uh, our customers uh, as well. Now, uh, the last thing uh, that I always uh, get into, Tim, is um, you know. Uh, what is one one book one uh, podcast uh, that has had an outsized impact uh, on uh, the way you think uh, and something that uh, we should all follow
1: yeah that's a really good question uh-
0: uh, this, this is one question that i ask everybody uh, what is one podcast one book uh, something that you know we should all follow and something that has had an outsized impact uh, on the way you think um what would you recommend
1: absolutely so there's, there's one podcast by a guy called Naval ravikant um spelled n-a-v-a-l um and he's a fantastic tech thinker but effectively he has this podcast series where he he goes through a lot of the kind of the, the twitter he does a lot of twitter storms or a lot of big tweet posts yeah. uh, but he basically goes through those and provides a lot more detail on them and it's pretty much him just monologuing for anywhere from 20 minutes to 40 minutes, but these things are awesome, you know, things, you know, about entrepreneurship, about business, but just generally in kind of like ways of thinking uh, and even to do with kind of like mental health and just, you know, everything basically. So it's a real kind of eclectic mix, um, but I found that everything he said has been spot on and it's been really, really opening for me. So I'd recommend any of the listeners for this podcast, definitely tune into Naval.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So Naval uh, Ravikant is, uh, is co-founder of uh, angel list which is the you know the largest uh, angel investment uh, platform uh, in the world and one of the most original thinkers in the world um, and uh, even if you if you disagree with uh, some of his uh, views he definitely provokes a much deeper analysis um of, of of the issues that he talks about. So he, he he's, he's incredible and one of the most original thinkers in the world today. So yeah, uh, I love Novel Ravikant as well. Thank you so much, Tim. It's been a pleasure uh, having you here. Uh, and to all the listeners, uh, there'll be a link in the description to SourceVail. And I'll also put uh, uh, Tim's LinkedIn. So you know, if you want to connect, go right ahead and hit him up uh, on LinkedIn. And uh, just so that you know, um, if you're hitting him up on LinkedIn, don't mention Timothy, mention Tim, uh, and that's when you get a response. Uh, thank you so Absolutely. much, Tim, for uh, uh, you know doing this with us.
1: Thanks so much for your time.